Welcome back to another edition of the Security Conversations podcast. Our return guest, Sunil Yu. The last time you came on the show, we talked about the cyber defense matrix and you were at YL Ventures, I believe, uh, CISO yes. and residents over there. You're now CISO at Jupiter One and uh, you bring a unique perspective to discuss a topic that I want to focus on specifically for this podcast, which is around all this energy around S-bombs and software bill of materials. A lot of uh, activity coming out of the U.S. government and the NTIA, CISA, and those guys driving conversations and interest around the concept of S-bombs. And I particularly wanted to get you in the podcast because I know this is a top, top of mind topic for you and I'll have you introduce like y- your thing there. But mo- just recently, as CISO for Jupiter One, you released uh, a, a page with, S- with, with an S-bomb. Can you describe... Mm-hmm what an S-bomb is, what it is that you released, and what was the goal and objective of putting that page up? Okay, yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me on again. It's it's a great pleasure to be here. So yeah, when I uh, first joined Jupiter One about two months ago, the, the first question I asked the team was, do we have an S-bomb? And this was in preparation. Uh, at the time, I knew that the, the S-bomb requirement would come out in the executive order. So I kind of wanted to be a little bit prepared to know what the, whether or not uh, we could produce an, uh, a software bill of materials. So an SBOM is a software bill of materials. And the best uh, analogy that, uh, one of the better analogies I've heard around uh, what a software bill of materials is, is it's a uh, list of ingredients that you would find in food. It's the equivalent thing that you would see when you buy a food product. You would want to know what goes into that food product during its manufacture. And when it comes to software products, we would want something similar. And so that's what essentially an SBOM is. Now, I, I've been an advocate for SBOM for a while, actually. Um, when I was at Bank of America, uh, the um, I was I was in various groups where um, this I is a couple of years with, ago, right? Yeah, this was over two years ago uh, when I left Bank of America, and what I um, shared with uh, many of my peers in the FS community is the need for an SBOM and how we should embrace um, one creating them ourselves, but also asking our vendors to um, publish or provide an SBOM for us as well. So uh, to your point earlier in terms of uh, my my perspective on SBOM, uh, I've had this, it's interesting because now I can say I've um, had a pretty wide view from being a buyer, uh, a seller, and a, and a producer, and maybe other ways to look at uh, my role in, in the, the SBOM and, and advocating for that across uh, the community. Just go back to the ingredient list because if I buy a bar of chocolate at the back of it, it says, it gives me an ingredient list. It tells me what are all the ingredients and things. A lot of the times it's monocytrate, carbohydrate, that no one understands what it means. Right. Are we right. running into that risk of creating this, what, what SBOM's uh, software bill of materials is this very formal record with the details of all these supply chain relationships and all the components in software. Today's software, as you know, is bubble wrapped with all kinds of this component talking to this component, poorly documented and so on. I suspect, uh, is there a worry, and again, I'm coming at it from a layman's outsider's perspective, that we get to a point now where we add this tax and burden on vendors to create this thing that no one can read, parse, and understand. The same way when I pick up my chocolate bar, I have no idea what any of this stuff means. Well, first of all, um, one of the things that we, we advocate for as an SBOM is for the, the SBOM itself to be machine readable. Now, yeah, there's an element of which we want it to be human readable, but the real purpose is for it to be machine readable so that we can consume it and then understand its implications when an issue arises. So 
to your point about the food ingredients, we, um, yeah, there's, there's a number of ingredients that we buy on products where we can't really understand it and understand, uh, know what it is. Um, but that's almost kind of not the point with an S-bomb. Part of the point of the S-bomb is for us to be able to say, when an issue arises with, let's say, partially hydrogenated oils, okay, uh, we don't actually necessarily need the consumer to know um, that uh, what this particular ingredient does. But when we discover that a partially hydrogenated oils is now poisonous, Problematic. we kind of want to know, yeah, we want to know very broadly, like, where is this ingredient? And how is it being used such that does this does the poisonous aspect of this ingredient actually make a difference for us? And you say um, and you say S bombs are being made machine readable to be ingested mm-hmm. by what? Is it being ingested by a vulnerability management tool? Is it being ingested by something else? Like who's ingesting S bombs? Yeah, it's a great what? question. Right, and right now that's a maturing space uh, in terms of how it's being ingested. Uh, I, I think first we need to make sure that the ingredients can be made available, and then subsequently we'll figure out, well, uh, we need ways that we can consolidate that so that when an issue arises, when we discover that partially hydrogenated oil is an issue or uh, Apache struts is an issue, we can quickly determine where in our ecosystem might it be. Now, just because it's there, just because we have uh, a certain version of OpenSSL that might be vulnerable, doesn't necessarily mean that we are actually vulnerable. There's a number of different situations whereupon um, uh, the, the the function that's being that's vulnerable it might might not be called, uh, or we may have an older version, but we backported the fixes. So there's a lot of variations here that um, make it less than obvious as to whether or not there's an actual vulnerability at play. Uh, nonetheless, it does give us at least a starting point to say, um, let's at least know that there might be one. And then subsequently, we can go and investigate and determine whether or not there actually is one. So the future of our asset management, data classification, asset classification world will include uh, some sort of scanning for SBOM components coming out of these machine-readable documents that, in theory, everyone should be creating. That's the future of well, what it'll be? Well, actually, let me. It, it's not so much a future as much as it's a uh, completion of the past, okay? So the completion of the past view of the world is uh, we should all collectively have a very thorough inventory uh, of our software assets. And unfortunately, we don't really have that today. Um at least not not at the level of granularity that helps us understand uh, whether or not we're exposed to a particular vulnerability when we discover that um, uh, again OpenSSL or some some open source package might be vulnerable. Uh, we don't know that because we don't have an inventory. And as we uh, as many as of us practitioners know, inventory is like one of the very first steps that we do. So it's not so much a a, a future thing as much as there, there are some core practices that we find incomplete. Right, right. And, and SBOM is really trying to um, bring that to completeness. I don't want to derail the conversation, but like I talk to your peers and CISOs who are responsible for defending our organization. And they, they repeat what you just said. Like we have no, like our biggest problem is asset management and asset discovery. Mm-hmm. Just knowing what's scattered around, whether it's industrial IoT, IoTs, all these little devices that introduce risk to my organization. I don't have visibility there. Now, how am I going to have visibility into how those are actually made or the sausage that made those things? It just feels like it feels very futuristic. And I want to ask about this. Who should have an S-bomb? Is there a tax on security uh, on vendors as a whole? Does this 
does this add a cost? And by extension, does that cost filter down to consumers or, 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 or buyers? Who should have an S-bomb? Should everyone have an S-bomb? Should every CISO be, you know, focused on this today? Okay, well, there's, there's a lot to unpack. A lot there, so to me, unpack there, me, I know. <laughs> let me start off with a couple uh, points. So uh, let's be clear in terms of what is, uh, what's the ingredients versus how it's made. There's a distinction there. So okay. the distinction would be as simple as saying, um, you can get a can of Coca-Cola and you can see the ingredients, but you don't necessarily know the Coca-Cola recipe, right? So how it's made is different, distinct from uh, what it's made of. Okay. Okay. And there's going to be intellectual property around how it's made, which is not what an SBOM reveals. So if there's any concerns around intellectual property of, of how it's made, that's uh, definitely out of scope. As far as who should produce an S bomb, um, oh wait, let's let's to, linger there for a second. What mm-hmm. are the components that make up an S bomb? Like when you say watts in there, what mm-hmm. are the watts we're talking about here? Is it libraries, modules, like everything? Yeah, so uh, nothing that's necessarily proprietary. So if you have a, for example, um, uh, an in-house module or in-house package, um, then that's we can generally consider that out of scope because I mean, let's suppose there's there's a vulnerability. I mean, not that there would be a CVE associated with some in-house package. How will we even know that there's a vulnerability there, right? So some of those are going to be mostly out of scope. When we're talking about the kind of ingredients that uh, we would expect to see in an SBOM, we're talking generally open source components or things that are just widely accessible so that we know uh, that that can have a CVE as tr- uh, associated with it or some sort of public vulnerability disclosure associated with it. Let's, let's get to the other part of the question there. Should every CISO be investing in resources to create an SBOM? And is there a cost and a tax attached to creation of it? Or is it something that you, you mentioned in the beginning when you joined Jupiter One, you were, uh, you, you know, you requested if you guys were in a position right. to do that. Was that something that the guys could snap their finger and produce? Or does that implement a lot of tax on your resources to go get that together? So there's a couple of different ways to look at this. Uh, the reason why I asked um, was for two reasons. One, well, again, I'm an advocate for it, and I would like for us to be able to produce one. But it also provided a initial baseline uh, for me to understand how mature our software uh, development life cycle was, how modern it was. And generally speaking, the more modern and mature um, an application, a, an organization's application development processes are, the easier it is to produce a software bill of materials. What does that right? maturity look like, though? Can you spend a second here talking about what does that maturity look like that makes it really easy for your guys to pull it there? Is it because they are, they already had tools, processes in place that knew exactly, like what are those things? Yeah, so l- let me offer a, a, a way to think about this from a, uh, a trade, it's, it's like a balance of sorts. So the more modern one's application development tech stack is, uh, the more the... Uh, maturity of our practices have been baked into the technology itself. So the overall practices may not be, let's say, very mature, but because we're using mature uh, tech stacks or tech stacks that have the modern components built into it, well, that allows us, for example, to create an SBOM much much more easily. It also allows us to deploy quickly and deploy um, many times a day as opposed to some of the older uh, tech stacks that we might have in place. But if you have an older tech stack, then you need to demonstrate that you have maturity uh, in how you, do, how you build software. And that maturity then uh, can um, allow you to more easily create a, a software building materials because your mature software development practices, despite having an older tech stack, 
allow you to be able to easily enumerate what goes into your software builds. So um, ideally, we'd like to have a tech stack that's both modern as well as a set of practices that are mature. But if you have a modern tech stack, you can actually have a slightly less mature application or, or software development lifecycle and still get an SBOM. So in some ways, again, it, it's a it's a measure to say, okay, well, um, the fact that you can produce an SBOM tells me that you're either mature, you're modern, or both, right? The fact that you can't produce an SBOM then causes me to wonder, okay, well, where are, where are we falling short? Do we not have a mature process? Do we not have a mature tech stack? I'm sorry, a modern tech stack. Uh, do we not have both? And coming into an organization as a CISO, just the simple question of uh, can we produce an SBOM is equivalent to saying, are we this tall? It's the perfect test, right? It's like the, it's like a, it's like a baseline question to ask, right? Right, right. And this is all. This is entirely independent of whether or not we publish it. Right, right, right. right. Just the ability to create it and produce it. And the the fact that we can that then told me yes, we're at least this tall, and it gave me a bit of comfort as a CSO coming in saying, okay, I'm gr- I'm glad that that's something that um, I don't have to worry as much about because. I know that we're at least this tall in terms of how we uh, do our software development. Are your peers asking that question today? And if they aren't, shouldn't they? I mean, what what, what is the right way to ask that question in your organization? Well, I think uh, as far as, uh, well, coming into a job, coming into a CSO role, it's a great question to ask, just so you understand. How um, mature the organization is. That's Do right. Do you have any right. sort of processes in place to deal with foundational right. things? That's right, exactly. Um, and if they can, then you have some, you can come in with some degree of comfort that, uh, this job, it may not be as uh, an uphill battle as it might otherwise be. And that's where um, the tax that I was asking about, this uphill battle, those two words you just used, becomes a tax mm-hmm. on a security program that might not be in a place to quickly produce one because they don't have all the visibility into where which open source components they're using, what kind of module. And it's, it's you know how open source and the, the, the interdependencies there are crazy. If it, It's so hard to have that level of visibility there that it just, it feels like a burden on vendors. Is it a burden at all to create one from scratch, even if you're not mature? Sure. So I'll give you, uh, I'll relate it back to an older example just to say why, yes, it is a burden initially, but uh, how, why it reaps benefits downstream. Right. What um, are the benefits of these SBOM? But not just yeah. for the vendor, but for the consumer as well, because it has to work both well, ways for people to invest in it, right? Right. Consumer, but uh, certainly consumer, certainly the security team, but even more importantly, the business itself. Okay. So consider going back to, um, uh, the food industry before ingredient labels were available, you'd have uh, factories producing food for which you have no idea what went into the um, product. Um, and we'd have cases of botulism and all these other sort of things. Yes, uh, uh, Upton Sinclair documented that in, in the jungle in his novel, the jungle. And it, and it brought a lot of awareness around uh, how horrible some of these practices were. And it spurred the movement to try to drive towards uh, greater transparency around what went into the foods. Now, what that forced food manufacturers to do was to say, okay, we now need to understand uh, what goes into our food. And, and there was a burden associated with, um, by the food manufacturers to have to now revamp their processes, uh, to modernize their tech stack, to um, uh, create better processes that uh, allowed some degree of accountability w- of, into what went into the food. But once you had that documented, once you had a modern tech stack, those, uh, the process become, became much more efficient, meaning they were able to produce food more consistently 
and uh, repeatedly in a way that uh, allowed them to actually be more productive. And I would say that's the equivalent for software as well. I- imagine a software development um, uh, process that was very ad hoc every time. Uh, imagine one where you had to work on a very antiquated tech stack. Now, I mean, the software developers would have trouble just building software, right? You'd have very um, unstable, unreliable software. Forget this. Don't even worry about the security issues, okay? I'm just saying that the food itself or the software itself would be of poor quality. Um, that's just tying back to the processes and the and the tech stack that it's built upon. Now, uh, us asking for an SBOM kind of um, is a forcing function to say, hey, you should modernize your tech stack and or increase maturity of, of your software development practices. And in doing so, you actually produce better and uh, better software and faster, which of course helps propel the business forward. But it also produces a better product for the consumer, and from the security standpoint, it provides um, uh, some degree of assurance. As at a least se- that, right, and as a seller of security software, it's an enabler of the business as well. It's like holding up a pen test or hoping, holding up some sort of like third-party outside security assessment as some sort of validation that you you have visibility into things, right? And with security being such a cybersecurity being biz, big business, the ability to provide that level of accountability slash transparency becomes an enabler of the business. Do you, ex- do you expect that enabling of the business to be real or is it just kind of like an abstract? Uh, yeah, and ultimately it's an it's a investment that one has to do to say, you know what, we're going to have to stop our assembly lines and modernize this. We're going to have to stop our assembly lines and redo our processes. And that's always a painful decision that someone in the business has to still make. Um, and until people are willing to do that, um, we unfortunately won't necessarily take that step, especially if things are working fine. Why, why break something that's not, uh, why, sorry, right. why fix something that's not broken? Now, the executive order um, changes the dynamic a little bit. Now, because you're um, essentially forced to do this, it helps the decision makers not have to weigh that decision anymore. They now have to say, okay, you know what? It's no longer a choice. We need to now um, produce a software bill of materials. Now, the the worst thing to do is to say, all right, let's, we got to meet this requirement. Let's not uh, modernize our tech stack or let's not change our processes. We'll just somehow we'll create something and call it an SBOM. Right. That's probably the worst thing to do. Every, every, oppor- every organization should take the opportunity here to make that hard decision to say, you know what, let's go ahead and modernize. Let's go ahead and uh, mature this process because that will reap benefits downstream. Uh, for everyone, I want to I want to I want to double click down on these benefits though because uh, you mentioned identifying and trying to you know avoid known vulnerabilities places down your stack. But there's also I can imagine some benefits around like quantifying and managing licenses. Can you dr- drill down and double click a little bit in in how these benefits can actually accrue on the ground in the trenches that aren't just yeah. Um, so there's benefits as I mentioned in terms of the process for producing it. But actually, the ingredients are not so much a benefit as much as that it's a, a awareness of liability. Okay, uh. so each component creates a potential liability. What what is that liability? It could either be uh, a vulnerability due to you know some bug that we discover, or it could be a legal liability. Um, so there's a license associated with a uh, component, and that component uh, we haven't properly licensed, or or we're violating some aspect of that license. So uh, having a software bill of materials then uh, gives us a, gives us a better awareness of what our potential liabilities are. Right. Um, 
And, and this is when, above and beyond the transparency benefit that you just talked about and the business enabling. This benefits. is internal, right? These this are internal our, benefits for mm-hmm. yourself that a creation of an S bomb would accrue right. almost immediately, right? That's right. Yeah. And of course, the customer in seeing an S bomb uh, understand how we might be transferring that liability to them as well, right? Right. right. So we have a vulnerable component. Uh, I want to know that because you know it's it's my software that we're building. But as soon as you buy that software, I'm transferring, you know, we're sharing some degree of that liability with you. And of course, you would want to know that too, right? Now, this is where it gets a little bit more complicated because uh, I, of course, know how it's being built, whereas you just know what the ingredients are. I'll use the uh, hydrogenated oils as an example. Apparently, there's, uh, if anyone's ever studied this, there's all these different ways that you can hydrogenate oil some of which are really bad and some of which are just actually perfectly normal. But if you just see in, in the ingredient hydrogenated oil, you're not sure, right? You're not sure if, should I throw this food out? Is it poisonous? Is it bad for me? Or is it actually okay? Um, the how that oil became hydrogenated is is the key question. And you don't know that just from the ingredient. Um, so likewise, in, in the software space, just because I have OpenSSL um, doesn't necessarily mean that I'm vulnerable. But when I sell a product to you and it says, here's a uh, version of OpenSSL that appears to be vulnerable, you may freak out and say, oh my God, this product is, is susceptible to this particular vulnerability. And I would say, hold on, no, no, no. Um, there's a lot more nuance here because, uh, again, we, we may have backported the fix or that particular uh, vulnerable function is, is never being called or it's not being called in the, in the way that uh, exposes it. So there, there's a lot of nuance there, but at least it gives you some something to work with to be informed. Right, but does that nuance just introduce new distractions and complications for uh, for defenders absorbing data from SMOMs and the confusion you just described over whether OpenSSL is a vulnerable component or not is in there? Does can you? Can your S-bomb drill down into uh, ingredient list down to point product releases? Uh, well, yeah, so the the specification of the S-bomb will go into, will have version numbers. And um, what you want to be able to do is get to a point where there's signatures and hashes associated with uh, each of the components. Um, but the noise that you're talking about, I, I, I do believe uh, at the end of the day, there's going to be some degree of increased noise as we understand how to process and use this information effectively. Um, I'll put it this way. Think about the word transparency for a moment. You know, the SBOM is about creating transparency, which means that it gives you more visibility. Well, when you have greater visibility, you see more, but that what you, but what you see, you now have to find a way to understand. And when you see more, um, well, some of that may be noise, right? It may be things that you can you could safely ignore, but you can't tell yet. And over time, as we get better at understanding what we should be focusing on, what we can safely ignore, um, you know, we're, it's gonna it's gonna be a little messy initially. Yeah, it's gonna uh, be even least, mess. It's gonna be even messier when the vendors come along and start describing themselves as S bomb vendors, right? I mean, we're we're gonna head into an ecosystem where you know what happens. It it, and that's why I talk about noise and real distraction for CISOs is that they feel like SBOM is a new part of their security program that they need to go invest in products and technologies and people to manage. And that's why I keep, and I know I keep harping on this because I know a lot of startup founders are trying to figure out how much does this SBOM requirement going to cost me? And what are the, what are, are the benefits going to accrue in a way where it's even useful for me? Or, or you know, or it, does it just add another burden onto my program yeah. where the benefits are not really something I can measure and easily see? 
Well, let me let me start off and say, if you're a startup founder and you can't produce an S bomb, if your if your development team can't produce an S bomb, something's wrong with your development team because they're using they're not using a modern tech stack, perhaps, right? Or, um, and if for whatever reason they're not using a modern tech stack and they're, uh, it's it's like rolling your own encryption at this point. Why would you ever do that when there's already tons of um, well, very battle tested. Um, processes and tooling, uh, developer tool chains that you can use. So if you're, again, if you're uh, if you're a startup founder, I actually think that producing an S bomb should be trivial, trivially easy, because the uh, uh, most of the teams there would be already using the most modern uh, tech stacks. There are you know development uh, uh, tools that are already there. Um, as far as what sort of uh, burdens that they will face, I, again, I think this, there's still some um, debate about. Uh, who should produce an S bomb? Now, uh, let me offer Jupiter One, a company I'm at, is a SaaS company. Should a SaaS company produce an S bomb? Um, should Salesforce produce an S bomb? Should uh, should Google? Right. The and- software doesn't look the same today that it looks like tomorrow, right? There's there components being added. It's a live right. thing. And and the transference of the risk. Um, in having a vulnerable component, it's not the same as if you ran the software in your own. Uh, right. There's a shared right? risk as well there. there. There is a shared risk, but the burden is really still upon me to fix the software because you're consuming the software um, as a service. But there's a different type of transference if, let's say, uh, you install Adobe Acrobat um, and that's inside your environment. And if there's a vulnerable component in Adobe Acrobat, well, um, that's something that you would want to know because it's not something that I can fix directly within your environment. So anyway, the point is that uh, when it comes to SBOM, um, there's a general view that SaaS vendors are, um, for the most part, exempt because producing an SBOM doesn't necessarily uh, have the same effect or meaning as uh, sharing an SBOM for a product that you bring in-house. But the reason why I felt that it was uh, useful for us to produce an SBOM, one, to show support for it, two, really as a way to tell, just as much as I came in asking Where's an SBOM to understand where we stand as it relates to the maturity of our organization saying, hey, to me, at least our organization is this tall. I'd like to let the world know, hey, we're at least this tall when it comes to um, how we do our software. That, that doesn't mean that well, we'll be perfect in everything that we do, but at least it gives a perspective of, um, one, our transparency in terms of how tall or how uh, um effective our security or application security or our software development lifecycle will be, the fact that we can produce an S-bomb should at least let you know we're this tall. How does an S-bomb help post-breach, post-infection, post-cyber attack? Are you familiar with the code cough supply chain issue? Would, would like, for instance, would an S-bomb have helped there? And how can, how can, how can defenders use S-bomb post-incident, right-of-boom type activity? Is there any sort of benefits there? Um, it, I would say it's somewhat limited. Um, so the CodeCov issue is more of a is more of a vendor uh, risk issue rather than a specific software component issue. In my right, view. but this bash uploader um, would have been in there, right? I mean, this this yeah, problematic well, bash uploader would have been some sort of artifact in an S bomb. I'm imagining. Um, not sure if it would actually show up in an S bomb. Um, let me come back to you on that, but I don't think that would actually show up on an S bomb versus, let's say, the fact that we're using CodeCov as a vendor. That that would that should show up, and that should become much that be more apparent than, let's say, within the context of an S bomb. Um, but let me get back to you on that. I, I'm not sure if that's uh, totally correct. 
But our initial, when CodeCove came out, uh, the first question is not necessarily, is it in our SBOM as much as, is it in our list of vendors? And if the answer is yes, then uh, we have to go and address that. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if there's any benefits to SBOM in the event of an, of an actual cyber attack or breach. Or does this just help us kind of go back and do... Yeah, the benefit, is, the benefit from a, a post-breach situation is more the extent of exposure that we might have. Uh, let, let's take Coca, for example, real quickly. Uh, the question I would ask is, uh, where do I actually have Coca implemented, right? And wherever it's implemented, that's that's going to be an area of impact. So similarly, with respect to a software bill of materials, uh, the same question could be asked for, let's say, OpenSSL. Uh, where do I have OpenSSL implemented such that uh, I would be exposed to something like Heartbleed, which <laughs> for anyone who's been through that exercise, it was a pretty difficult exercise to figure out that answer uh, in the midst of trying to put out lots of fires. And that's something that you just don't want to have to do. You, you know, a, a, having a software, having a, a good software bill of materials for your organization of all the software that's running in your organization, you don't want to be scrambling to collect that while the house is on fire. You kind of want to be able to say, here it is, and quickly direct you to the right places. So anyway, with respect to on a post-breach situation, I would say an SBOM is super helpful. Um, It's sort of like, actually, if you were a firefighter, uh, it's like having a blueprint um, of your house or of a building. And on top of the blueprint, having a very clear understanding of where there are specific materials that are hazardous, where there are specific uh, things that you need to avoid, um, where your crown jewels are, you know, things that- It sounds like you're describing a roadmap to attackers. And that's also another important question that's bubbling up in this S-bomb talk. It's like, Mm -hmm. theoretically, if I produce an S-bomb, like you just described, you, you perfectly painted the picture there with the firefighter having visibility into where I know the hazardous materials are. It's all, isn't it almost the same as an attacker having direct visibility to every piece of component in your software? Are there risks there that people should worry about? Yeah, that's, that's a valid question. So um, having a blueprint for your house um, certainly creates uh, gives the gives an attacker awareness of how they may be able to navigate. That I have, uh, that I have voluntarily displayed. Right, this blueprint to my house. I literally put it in the front of my door and says, mm-hmm. "Here's a blueprint to my house. This is the door that doesn't work properly. Here's another window over here that might have a crack that's very, very difficult for me to fix." And I'm and, right. and I'm advertising that. Yeah, actually, I should mention um, the fact that we publish the Nesbom publicly is not a requirement. Uh, the re- the requirement is to be able to produce an SBOM when one of your buyers, one of your, you know, when someone asks for it. Uh, ah, that's a that different, produce- that's a subtle difference there as well. Publishing yeah, it uh, is a choice to, to like you mentioned, show your height, pu- show your height, show your... That's right. right. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to set an example to say, look, we can publish this, um, but I think to your point... Okay, so what are the risks of publishing are, it? Yeah, so if there are, if there were ex- explicit risks that I would have... Let, let's take dependency confusion as an example. If I were concerned that we did not address dependency confusion, I would be a lot more uh, averse to publishing it publicly, right? The fact that we actually do have controls in place to avoid uh, dependency confusion then gives me confidence that here, you know, uh, have at it, right? Now, uh, right, but that's a, just one small component that you can flag. What are those other things that maybe you haven't thought about that might right, potentially exactly. expose you? Sure, sure, right. That's exactly right. There, there may be other things that um, I'm not fully aware of or 
you know, someone, a, a package maintainer um, may get uh, compromised and, you know, things can happen from there. But honestly, those things can happen independently whether or not I have an SBOM or, or not. Um, and some of the, some of the, uh, the, the reality is that for uh, some of our software, you can actually go and reconstruct what the SBOM would be anyway. Like, right. for example, we, we actually publish much of our software um, in GitHub anyway. So it's a good chunk of our software and, and uh, how, what, what, it make, what makes it up is uh, available for, on GitHub. So it's not as if they, uh, an attacker couldn't produce their own SBOM or some semblance of one just based on what we have on GitHub. But publishing it is something people should think about carefully before going public with it, right? Because there is this dual edge thing we describe here, but you really believe that it does level the playing field for defenders, adding this transparency and adding, you know, especially for enterprise defenders to, if we follow the threat landscape, you have to assume the adversary already knows what your tech stack looks like, right? That's That's a a safe Mm -hmm. assumption to make in this assumed breach world. So you're just kind of leveling the playing field, even though there's a dual edge risk. And what is your recommendation? Folks should really, is it something you should really carefully think about publishing or is it just, just publish the thing they already know? Yeah. So, uh, security by obscurity is one of the principles in play here. It works. There is, it it works. Yeah. I was going to say there's value in security by obscurity, but, uh, not a great deal of value that we should, um, and it doesn't scale long term either. Yeah, there's a limit to there's a limit to it, and so um, I think part of the part of the view of publishing it publicly is one to tell the world effectively, hey, we think that we've accounted for the kind of attacks that may otherwise we may be otherwise susceptible to by having people know what the S bomb is. Um, but as you pointed out, we don't know what the, what new clever ways might come up that uh, people yeah. can exploit based on what they know there. Uh, but I think we're not, we're not going to be unique there. And what if people do discover some other interesting technique, uh, whether you have an SBOM or not, I, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. Another comment and question I'm hearing a lot from your uh, peers. Sorry, I, should, I should say, whether or not you publish an SBOM publicly right, make, right, right. will not make yeah, a difference. Yeah, there's, there's a nuance and a difference there. Does publishing an SBOM put me at risk of intellectual property disclosure? Does, it, does, does SBOMs include things like source code disclosure, for instance? Help, help people right. understand some yeah. of these misconceptions that are popping up. Does it require source code disclosure? Am I going to expose intellectual property by publishing? No. Yeah. So that's definitely a no. Um, so similar to my comment about uh, Coca-Cola. So knowing what goes into Coca-Cola is very different. And, and actually not just knowing what goes into Coca-Cola, but also the concentration. So you, you don't necessarily know the exact uh, amount of each ingredient that goes in. You don't know that I use a certain package 10 times more than this other package, uh, nor do you know the actual recipe, how it's assembled. So um, those are things that are very, uh, not, not meant to be exposed at all uh, through the SBOM. We're also um, uh, proprietary ingredients for which there's no uh, real public record of uh, any vulnerability exposure. Those, those things can certainly be excluded as well. And you have to find a way to, to ensure that, that those don't go into the SBOM, but those are usually out of scope. Again, primarily because if you have some proprietary ingredient, uh, no one's going to really know whether that's going to create some exposure because it's so proprietary. The right, only people right. who are going to know is you. Right? It doesn't belong in the S-bomb anyway, right? No, is there a it, risk it of making sense. a mistake and, and dripping stuff into it? Sure, there is. Okay. But at the same time, I'm not sure exactly how much uh, of a concern that would be because in many ways that would just end up being an obscure package that nobody understands what it is. It's It's that... Example you gave earlier of having some ingredient that you can't even pronounce. Right. 
I've also heard folks get worried about SBOM increasing their exposure to license violations. I, I don't quite understand that one because if you have license violations, this might actually help you pinpoint it and fix it. But but there's there are people genuinely concerned and worried about publishing an SBOM or 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 providing an SBOM and getting caught with some licensing violations that they may not even know about. Yeah, well, if if you don't know about your own license violations, then that's a different problem. Again, that points out like the, the maturity of your stack, right? Right, exactly, right. And you, you kind of want to know, like for example, we we have a list internally of all the licenses that we're using with um, an explicit, we should never use these particular licenses just because of the burden it creates. So um, if there's not those kind of controls in place, which go, again, going points back to the maturity of one's software development practices and their, and their tech stack, um, then you really actually honestly have other problems that um, that an SBOM um, might surface, but it's really not about the SBOM. It's right, really right, about right. some other practices that you have inherently uh, within the organization itself. Right, and that should also, I mean, the creation of an SBOM and this energy should also point you in that direction to get some of those foundational things fixed, right? Instead of asking this question, instead of instead of nervously worrying about this stuff, isn't isn't the benefit just use this and use this energy and an opportunity to create it to pinpoint those weak points in your organization. Yeah, use it as an opportunity. I think that's what you're essentially pointing to. That uh, some of the if it was hard to make a decision on some of these things before, now it should be easier to make that decision because uh, one is being mandated through the executive order, and two, you know, if it if it's going to create some downstream issues, or rather, if you knew about some of these issues ahead of time, uh, like the licensing issues and such, then again, uh, this this provides a great impetus to get the house in order. Just some quick uh, uh, inside baseball things for the folks who are going to listen to this podcast just to get their heads wrapped around the S-bomb thing. You mentioned uh, it's machine readable. Are there like specific mm-hmm. formats or specific standards that people should go learn now about how these things are structured and how they're how they're put into formats and how they're ingested? What are the things people should pay attention to? Yeah, so there are a couple, uh, there are three different formats that um, um, are available for folks to use. And uh, these are open formats, uh, I, I believe. So one is uh, SPDX. Uh, the one that we had um, produced was in uh, Cyclone DX. And then there's uh, what's called SWID, uh, Software Identification Tagging. So those are three different formats. Which one? Which and there are all, tools we, that translate them? I mean, if, if, right. I, if I create in one and, and my volume scanner or whatever down the road or whatever I'm using to ingest it, they, they translate across the board? Um, I, I think the translation is still kind of in the works to if make he, it a bit more elegant. Um, but nonetheless, at this point, just getting one out there is, is going to be uh, How often do you anticipate you'll have to update it? Well, actually, so this goes back to the, the tool and maintaining and it being modern, which is um, if I have to lift the finger to maintain it, then there's a problem there. Uh, I would rather... Well, a, if you're adding a, new dependencies and you're adding new open source dependencies right. here and there, you have to update it and maintain it. Well, well maintenance shouldn't is, be an issue. That's right, because when the developer adds some new package, it automatically the software gets material fed. should be. That's right. Uh, there, it, just, just as much as this is machine readable, it should be machine created. And so, as the developers um, make changes to the software by adding, deleting, you know, changing uh, ingredients. The machine readable SBOM should be machine created and machine updated. So uh, we ju- I just need to make sure that there's a place where that goes so that you can get the latest version of the SBOM whenever, whenever you need it. Last words to your peers, last words to your specifically CISOs and vendors who are creating software, whether it's SaaS or whether it's some on-prem thing. 
what is your what is your direct urgent recommendation to them now as it relates to the executive order and, and SBOM? Well, first of all, the executive order um, applies to federal agencies and their right, but processes. it'll float all boats, right? You right. expect right, and and for many organizations who don't do business with federal agencies, they may say, you know what, it's not there's a tendency to ignore this. Yes, uh, but to your point, it's gonna it's a there's a huge trickle down effect that's gonna happen, and so I would say don't ignore the uh, despite the fact that um, the scope is initially applied to the federal government agencies. Uh, you shouldn't be surprised if you start seeing this from Bank of America and from big financial services organizations. From big financial services, that's right. And you expect they're going to, we're going to see a lot of leadership in requirements and mandating it from those uh, sectors like healthcare, financial services, some of those places. And this is the, 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 again, the warning to CISOs is, listen, we don't do business with the government, but this requirement is coming from the people you're trying to sell to or you, you hope to sell to, right? Right. So it's sort of like California, even though you may not do business or be headquartered in California, just because they're so big, um, you have to end up uh, complying with many of the California requirements just because of the market power that they have. Um, so I th- that one message is really just to say, uh, if it, even though it, you may not think this applies to you, um, it treat it as if it does. But also, as I mentioned, uh, don't look at it as a burden as much as look at it as an opportunity to to drive uh, what may have been a hard decision before into one that is actually much easier because you have this external driver that's pushing this requirement forward. And an opportunity to have this be another impetus to mature your security program and get you to this height height level that, that your competitors will be publicly pushing you to do, right? There's a lot of that that's at right. play as well. Yeah. We have a few um, minutes. I can't let you go without asking about the cyber defense matrix and where does this fit into there? Have you seen use cases or are you starting to think about use cases for the matrix around uh, SBOMs and ingredients list? And, 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 you know, there's some things we didn't even talk about. Like there's some software components that you'll put into an SBOM that has software components themselves. And this, are we going to see like hierarchies there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, that's a, that was an active part of the conversation uh-huh. around how deep how deep do we go in terms of uh, for a given component, for a given software component that has other components, how many levels deep do we need to go? And uh, yeah, it's there's a, there's a recursive <laughs> nature to that as well, which right. um, makes it a bit challenging. As far as where it fits in the cyber defense matrix, so um, as you may recall, the cyber defense matrix is a five by five matrix with uh, five functions, identify, protect, detect, respond, recover. Across the top. So right. across the top. Um, the uh, the software bill of materials is an identify function, okay. and then there's five asset classes: devices, applications, networks, data, and users. So this is dealing with applications. So this is in the um, identify, identify applications. Identify uh, applications box. as a first order. Yes, as a first order function, it's doing that. As a second order function, uh, there's a lot of ways that it can support things like application detect, application respond. Right. I was um, thinking of a right of boom respond type of activities could mm-hmm. come in here, right? It'll be an interesting right. RSA talk next year. Now, let me, let me, um, it, before. Uh, Don't ask me a hard question. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> let me give you a future of where I think this goes after that. So what happens after SBOM? The analogy that uh, I gave at the beginning that we oftentimes point to is ingredient labels on food. And although it's a good analogy, I think there's actually a better one that uh, relates to what an SBOM has the potential of doing. Um, and it's drug facts on medicines. So if you look at drug facts on medicines, it includes ingredients, right? 
but it also uh, includes usage and it includes contraindications. Um, what to look for if something goes wrong. And we're not there yet, but I think that the opportunity to, or the next step beyond SBOM is to go beyond just the ingredients and say, here's how you should use this IT product, okay? And what are indications that it's, it's going south? What are things that we should watch out for? Or what are the guardrails that we should put in place? Now, here's the interesting things. Um, there are vendors out there that produce what is the equivalent of drug facts, all right? And, and the, um, the manifestation of that is um, things like, here are the firewall rules uh, for ports and protocols and addresses that you should expect this product to talk to, okay? And that also implies you can block everything else. Right. All right? So here, here's an interesting data point associated with that. And, and this is, uh, from what I can gather from my many conversations with various practitioners, there are some organizations that had, for example, a compromised SolarWinds Orion box and had put in some of these guardrails, okay? So they had a compromised Orion box, but they because they put these guardrails in, they were able to not suffer the impacts that many other organizations that didn't have those guardrails, um, you know, that they suffered. So this whole notion of, okay, well, what's the usage? Uh, how should we use this product? And what are the contraindications that we can use to guard against uh, side effects or, or bad, bad outcomes? That sort of information is super useful. Uh, and that's unfortunately not uniformly provided. Here's the thing. SolarWinds actually produce, provides that information. We just, a lot of people failed to implement it or didn't even recognize that it was there. So there's two parts of this. One is providing that information, providing the drug facts and saying, here's how you should use it. And then something else that consumes that and quickly implements it. Imagine, uh, and I, I don't think technology solves every problem here, but there's a technology that's missing here, which is something that will consume those drug facts, something that will consume uh, all these very disparate ways that uh, contraindications are articulated in IT today and creating guardrails automatically for you. I'm, I'm such a pessimist that, you know, as much as I, I, I see all the value and I see all the benefits and I, I, I understand where all of this is going, I can't shake the feeling that we'll, we'll get to a world where, you know, the same thing that happens with compliance requirements, right? It becomes checkbox, 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 and it's not real security. Like everyone knows it's not real security. You're checking off certain boxes as this requirement. And then SBOM becomes, like you mentioned earlier, like there's just going to be people just kind of whipping stuff together and calling it an SBOM. And then it just marks up the water. And then what is a real SBOM? And does it really help? And we'll get to a place where it becomes like a security program driven by compliance. Where Yeah. And so this goes into another can of worms that I don't want to. I know, I know. I, and and I want uh, us to wrap up here too. So Yeah. I think there's a distinction between safety and security here okay. as well. Um, what, what, we're talking about here is more around safety and safety mechanisms that, uh, so, so let, let me give you the drug example again. So you have a, a tamper seal, right? okay? Um, that's a security device, all right? But the drug fax is a safety uh, mechanism, all right? So um, the, you know, when the Tylenol issue came up back in the 80s, uh, to know that it was compromised, that it was tampered, you wanted that seal to, and you wanted the visual indication that uh, the security of it was compromised. 
versus the drug facts, which is more of a safety mechanism. Right, right. Now, having strong safety mechanisms lends itself well towards security. But uh, to your point about uh, compliance and checklists and so on and so forth, I, I agree. Those aren't necessarily, this isn't going to help on the, necessarily on the security side of the equation as much as it's going to help on the safety side. Um, but safe operations does lend itself well towards um, having good security as well. Anyway, the whole notion of safety and security then points to the Cyber Safety Review Board, which is another element of the, of the executive of order. Of the executive order that we haven't even touched on yet, which is, should yes. be another podcast altogether. Yes, yeah, so, and I had the uh, fortune of being part of a work group that really thought through a lot of the um, implications and the mechanisms for the Cyber Safety Review Board, but we're out of time, so... Thank you so much, Sunil. Always enjoy the conversation. So thanks for having me again.